Thank you, brother. I needed that tonight. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Romans chapter number 12 again this evening. Tonight again, we'll be looking at what I like to call the gospel in shoe leather. That's what I believe Romans chapter 12 really is. It's the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teaching us as believers how to live out our faith, how to do what we say we believe. Because how many of you know, if we don't do what we say we believe, um, then we can never be effective in our walk with the Lord and the ministry He's called us all to. So the Bible tells us what we should believe, then He tells us how to live it out in Romans chapter number 12, and I'm glad that we're able to be back there tonight. Now, we found out last week that Romans chapter 12 has a great deal to do with relationships. And the first relationship that the Apostle Paul outlines for us is our relationship to God. Because our relationship to God means more than anything else. I want to tell you again this evening, and I want to make this perfectly clear to you, if you don't have a right relationship with God, your relationships in every other area of your life are going to struggle. As a believer, if you don't have right fellowship with God, even though you have relationship, then every other relationship you have in your life and every sphere of life is going to struggle. See, I'm telling you folks, you don't really know how to love your kids until you love Jesus, until you've experienced the love of God. You don't know how to love your wife until you love Jesus and have experienced the love of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the person, the Holy Spirit. So once we know the love of God, then we can then show the love of God. So you've got to have a right relationship with God to make every other relationship work. As a believer, I've got to be in right fellowship with God to make uh, my relationships what it is supposed to be. And that is true for each and every one of us. So i found that when I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, I'm not going to be where I need to be with Miss Brandy. I'm not going to be where I need to be with my kids. I'm not going to be where I need to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not going to be, be where I need to be with friends and loved ones and acquaintances and every other relationship. So Paul starts, and rightly so, with our relationship to God and outlines that for us. And if you remember, we said we are called as believers to do three things as far as God is concerned. We've got to give Him our body, become living sacrifices. We've got to give Him our mind because as a man thinks, so is he. And then we said we've got to give Him our will so that we may be able to determine the acceptable and perfect will of God according to Romans 12 too. Now, it's with the mind that we control our body. It's what controls our body, but it's the will that controls our mind. And so we've got to give God everything. Like I, like I told you Sunday morning and last Wednesday night, as a believer, that simply means we take our lie or take our hands out of, off of what's already God's. We have been bought with a price. We're no longer our own. Uh, we've been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus if you trusted in Christ as Savior. And now it's not about us, it's about Him. So we got to give it all to the Lord and allow Him to do what He wants to do for we are truly His having been bought with a price. And so that's the relationship to God outlined in verses 1 and 2. And then Sunday morning, if you remember, we began talking about our relationship to others. That starts in verse number 3. Now there's two things that we, two ends of the spectrum that we usually land on as people, as men and women, boys and girls um, in the world today when it comes to our relationship to others. Now, first of all, listen, we've got to, we said we've got to rightly evaluate, evaluate ourselves rightly as to who we are in Christ. And there's two mistakes we made. Sometimes what we'll do is that we will exaggerate sinfully about ourselves, Amen. We, we, and that's why Paul warns us in verse number 3. He says, be careful that a man don't think too highly of himself. How many of you understand we can't get puffed up in our ability? Can't get puffed up in who we are? For without Christ, we are nothing and we can do nothing. Jesus said, John chapter number 15, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And except ye abide in me, you can't bear any fruit. <laughs> without Christ, we are nothing. Without Christ, we can do nothing. So we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves 
than we ought to think. We shouldn't exaggerate sinfully about who we are. But sometimes we fall on the other end of the spectrum. And we try to use a false humility as a crutch not to be used to the Lord in anything. And that happens sometimes. Well, you say, well, Brother Israel, I can't do that. I can't do this. You know me. I find somebody else will be a whole lot better than I am. Folks, listen to me. I want you to get a hold of this. Without Christ, we are nothing. And without Christ, we can do nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things. Through Christ, we can do all things. Keep your place there in Romans chapter number 12. And flip over with me to Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and and verse number 20, the Bible says, Now unto him that is able. How many of y'all believe tonight God is able? God is able. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Let me tell you what I believe the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus here and to us. He's saying that God is able to go above and beyond what we ever thought possible. More than what we could ever dream up, God is able to do. Now, how's he going to do it? He tells us that in the last part of that verse. According to the power that works in us. See, you can't teach the class, but Christ in you, working on you, working in you, and working through you, he can. You can't preach the sermon. I can't preach the sermon. But Christ working on me, in me, and through me, He can, and He can do it effectively. I can't pray the prayer, but to do it effectively, i got to allow Christ in me to work through me by the person of the Holy Spirit. Now the power that's been given to me and the power that's been given to you, it's been given to us so that we might accomplish God's good will and purpose. So even though we are nothing and can do nothing without Christ, with Christ, in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we knew all things. Everything God calls us to. <laughs> See, God knew that I couldn't do the work when he saved me. And God knew you couldn't do the work when he saved you. That's why he gave us the person of the Holy Spirit to empower us and enable us to do what he's called us to do. See, who God calls, he equips with his power. I'm so thankful for that tonight. Hope that's encouraging to you, but because it's encouraging to me. We can do nothing without Jesus, but with Jesus we can do all things according to the power that works in us, that works through us. So we must evaluate ourselves rightly, but we said also uh, we got to participate will willfully. We got to be willing to take part in what God is doing. We got to willfully participate in the work God is doing in the local body of believers, His church. Look at verse number four of Romans chapter 12. Go back there with me. Listen to what He says. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, we are many members that make up one body. And listen, God has set it up like this so that we might accomplish the will of the head. That means he's given every member a gift by the person of the Holy Spirit. We looked at this Sunday. Every member of the body has been given a spiritual gift so that we might be profitable in the work God has called us to as a whole. See, folks, my gifts differ from your gifts. Amen? And your gifts differ from my gifts. The truth is, I can do what you maybe you can't do. You can do what I can't do. But together, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do great things. God has made us different so that He might make us one, so that He might accomplish His purpose by His power. <laughs> That's what it means to be many members in one body. But to accomplish all of that, we've got to participate willfully. We've got to be plugged in. We've got to be ready to be a part of what God is doing through His church. And I can tell you something. I want to tell you something. I've got to tell you something. If you're going to be a part of what God's doing, you've got to be plugged into a local church. That's where God works. That's how God works, according to the Scripture. All of you, I'm sure, have heard of what's going on with John MacArthur right now out in California. He's went through terrible persecution because, just because he wants to have church. And he said something today that blessed my soul. Listen to what he said. He said, it's impossible for the believer... To do what God has called him or her to do without the work of the local church. 
It's in the local church that we're encouraged. It's in the local church that we are edified. It's in the local church that we exercise the gift God the Holy Spirit has given us to be what God wants us to be. That's good stuff. You've got to get plugged into the local church. You've got to participate willfully in what God is doing. Amen? We've got to evaluate rightly, participate willfully, but let me tell you something else. We've also got to cooperate lovingly, and that's what Paul tells us in the rest of these verses, verses 9 through 16. Let's just start right there in verse number 9, and listen to what he says. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant or constant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do weep, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. He says then, be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Let us pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the privilege you've given us to meet together today as your body, your church. Lord, I'm thankful that we have the privilege of getting in your word and your place with your people. And Holy Spirit, by your presence and power, do the work that only you can do. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. How good you are. In Jesus' name, have your way and will in this service. Amen. So, how do we cooperate lovingly? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us here about 15 or 16 things. And we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so let's get to it. Listen to what he says first of all. He says, let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation actually means hypocrisy. And so what he's saying is, let love be without hypocrisy. So, folks, what I think that means, according to the Word of God, is that we shouldn't say we love and not show we love. How many of you know tonight that love is an action word? It's a verb. Love is you meeting needs when you see needs. Love is you showing love for the brethren and not just saying you love the brethren. Now, the, uh, John, the... Uh, the apostle tells us what that looks at in 1 John chapter number 3. If you will, please keep your place there in Romans chapter 12 and flip over with me, or at least jot down in your notes 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse number 16. Let me tell you what I figured out today. John 3, 16 uh, through verse number 18 speaks of God's love for us. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 speaks of our love to others and describes it beautifully. Listen to what it says here in 1 John chapter number 3 as starting in the 16th verse. He says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. He says that's how much God loves us. Now let's couple that with what we talked about Sunday when Jesus said in John chapter number 13 verse number 33, 34 and 35. Jesus said I have I want to give you this new commandment that you love others even as I have loved you. Then he says in John 13 35 he says by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. So what's Jesus saying? You need to love people like I love you. And when you do that that's going to show everybody that you are a follower of me. So how are people going to know that we're different? How are people going to know that we are Christ-like? How are people going to know that we have been brought out of the darkness and into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus? I'll tell you how. By how we love people. That's how it's, we're going to stand out. That, that is what becomes appealing to a Christ-centered, spirit-led loving church. When a lost and dying world starts seeing the believers in Christ in the local body loving one another as Christ loves you and I. So how do we do that? He said as Christ gave his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, I'll be honest with you folks. I am hope I'm to that point but, but if I'm honest I probably still got some growing room in that too. See, the true test of whether or not we're really where God wants us to be is not how much we raise our hands in service or shout hallelujah. 
But the real test of how, uh, or, or, as if where we are, we are where God wants us to be, are we ready to actually lay down our life for other brothers and sisters in Jesus? Because that's what he says the love of God looks like in the body of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 17, But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That's what he's saying. He's saying. You can't say you love your brother, and you see him struggling in some area. You see him having a need in some area. And you having the ability to meet that need, and you don't meet it. You can't say you love your brother. It's powerful, isn't it? This is love in action. This is love being a verb. This is love doing what Christ has done. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So again, John says what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Don't just say you love someone with your tongue, but show you love someone by your deeds. It's good to say you love somebody. Amen. We, we ought to tell people we love uh, one another, especially in the body of Christ. Nothing wrong with that. But now listen, if I don't show it, does it really mean what I say? Let your love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy. Don't say it and not show it. i never forget, my wife um, said something to me one time that really stuck with me. I, I do. I, I try every day to tell my wife that I love her. I want her to. I never want her to be wondering whether or not I love that woman. So I try to several times throughout the day. I don't let her know that I love her. First thing we get up in the morning, I try to do that. But you know what she told me? She said, "Honey, I know you love me because you tell me every day." She said, "But you, let me tell you how I really know you love me. Because when I came home, you was washing those dishes." I mean, when she's got a full-time job and she's taking care of three kids and me, she's got housework, she's got all the stuff that she's got to do daily and the responsibilities she had, I think it meant something to her when she came home and saw me washing some dishes. Let me tell you how I know my wife loves me. Because of coffee. See, I love coffee. Those of you who know me best know that I love coffee. I'm a coffee junkie. I mean, I really enjoy a good cup of coffee. But my wife really don't care for coffee. But let me tell you what I've seen her do time upon time upon time. My wife don't have to get up when I get up. I usually leave the house around 5.30 in the morning. But let me tell you what I've seen her do many, many, many times. She would get up when she don't have to get up, go into the kitchen and make me coffee and put it in a thermos before I leave. I didn't ask her to do that. Certainly didn't say that she had to do that. She did it of her own free will. You may tell you why, just to show me, I believe that she loves me. See, what works in that marital relationship really works in every relationship. Don't just say you love someone with your mouth, but show you love your brothers and sisters in Jesus by your actions. That's what John's talking about, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. But then Paul goes a step further in uh, Romans chapter 12 when he says, Abhor that which is evil. <laughs> now what does it mean to abhor that which is evil? It means to express hatred for that which is ungodly, for that which is evil. Now what I believe that means, what Paul is telling us here as the body of Christ, we've got to be a people who are willing to call sin, sin. How many of you understand that a lot of sin is popularized today? I mean, it really is. It's popularized in, in pop culture and sitcoms and everything you see on your television and on social media. People are, are very, uh, they become okay and numb to sin. They really have. But I want to tell you something. Just because something is popular doesn't mean it's right. See, I want you to know there's a few sins today that we know are very popular. How many of you know fornication and adultery is very popular today? But it's still sin. See, the Bible says in the book of, of Hebrews that the marital bed is undefiled. And so even though it may be popularized by today's culture that we all live in, sin is still sin. 
the homosexual lifestyle. It's come to, to, to my attention today and probably to yours as well. There can't even be a new sitcom on television without a homosexual character that glorifies that lifestyle. And that's become very popular. But just because it's popular doesn't make it right. God still says that is wrong. If you don't believe me, read Genesis 19. He destroyed a whole city, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the sin of homosexuality. Read Romans chapter 1. The Bible says that God gives these people over time over to a reprobate mind. It's a very serious thing. The Bible calls that an abomination unto the Lord. So even though that may be popular, it's not right according to the Word of God. How many of you know lying's still wrong? It's very popular today, but it's still wrong. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 that we should not lie. Let me go, let me go a step further. How many know gossiping's wrong? It's wrong too. The Bible says we are to let no corrupt communication come out of our mouths in Ephesians 4.29. I was at a local place of business just a few months ago. And I was standing in line waiting my turn. And the man who owned the business said to the man in front of me, Do you have any good tea that needs to be spilled? I don't know what he's talking about. I thought, what's this brother saying? You know, he's, does he have a, a pot of tea around here or a jug of tea that he's about to give us or what's going on? But that's what he said. And after I sat there and listened for a minute, I began to see exactly what he was talking about. What he was talking about, he won't know the latest gossip. He won't know what was going on in everybody's life. He won't know what that man thought he knew. And the man that was in front of me willfully told him what he thought he knew. And they sat there for about five minutes while I waited in line and talked about everybody they could think to talk about. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's the last time I frequented that business. I don't have to put up with that. You don't either. I'm going to tell you something. Lying tongues and gossiping tongues has done more to tear down people and ministries and churches than just about anything else. And I think it's time we abhor that which is evil. And let me tell you the good news. The good news is this. All of these sins that I've mentioned and all the ones that maybe you're thinking about that I haven't mentioned, i got great news for everybody. God still forgives sin. Amen? And the same God by, who by His grace has forgiven me can forgive anybody who repents of their sin and turns to Him. Amen? This is the good news. This is the good news. But, listen to me now. As believers, we must be willing to stand on the truth. Call right, right, and wrong, wrong. That's what Paul is saying. Abhor that which is evil. Be willing to stand on the truth and express hatred for that which is ungodly, to abhor evil. Then he says something else. What else what he, what he tells us? He says, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. What does it mean to cleave to that which is good? It means to be stuck to it, to be bound together with that which is good. I remember when I was in high school, I had a summer job at Buccaneer Homes in Alabama. And so uh, I had worked pretty much all summer with these guys, got to know them good, and they were all a whole lot older than I was. And so they, I, I kind of became the one they picked on because I was the kid of the bunch. And so they were uh, roughing me up the week that I was about to go back to school. And it was like, man, the day you go back, we're going to tape you up. And uh, we're going to wet you with a, with, a, with a bucket of water and this and that. And me being a cocky 18-year-old, I said, boys, ain't enough people in this plant to tape me up. And I never should have said that. Because the day before I left going back to school that next week, sure enough, they all quartered me, uh, tackled me, taped me up, put me in a hot trailer and let me roll all the way through the line until somebody showed mercy on me and cut me free. But guess how they did it? They did it with duct tape. They took that duct tape, wrapped me up, wrapped my feet, wrapped my horns, wrapped around my head, everywhere else, and... Um, and let me roll through the line. I'm sitting in this trailer sweating to death in a hot trailer in the closet in the middle of the summertime. And they just thought that was the greatest thing ever. But I want to tell you something, folks. I realized right then and there, duct tape is sticky. Very sticky. And when you start taking duct tape off, whatever it's stuck to, come with it. And that's kind of what happened to me. And now when, I, when I saw this, when it says cleave to that which is good, that's kind of what I thought about. You need to be stuck to that which is good just like you duct tape to it. 
You need to cleave to that which is good. We ought to be associated as the people of God with good things. Amen? That's what he's telling us. Cleave to that which is good, abhor that which is evil. The next verse says, be kindly affectioned in brotherly love. Now let me tell you what that means. That means we ought to treat brothers and sisters in Christ. And Again, remember, we're talking about our relationship to other believers. We ought to treat our, we're talking about cooperating lovingly. Amen? He's saying that we are to treat other believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus, as if they were our blood kin. Let me tell you why. Because if I have trusted in Christ by faith and the blood of Jesus has been applied to my heart and life, and you have trusted in Christ as your personal Savior, and the blood of Christ has been applied by faith to your heart and life, we are blood kin. Amen? I'm just as much blood kin with my brothers and sisters in Jesus as I am with anybody and ought to treat them as such. Now, what does it mean to treat people like your blood kin? Well, I grew up with two brothers. I know a little bit about brotherly love. Let me tell you what I know about brotherly love. Brotherly love means I can fight like a wildcat with my two brothers at home. But if I leave my house and somebody gets on my brother, guess who, guess who else they got to get on? They got to get on me too. Why? Because I got brotherly love for them. I'm going to stick up for them. I'm going to stand up for them. I'm going to be there for them. Hey, listen, I ain't going to let nobody talk about my brother because I love my brother. Amen? Now, what does that mean for you and I? Folks, listen to me. We may have little fights and squabbles amongst ourselves because we're all different with different personalities. And from time to time, we can all get in this fleshly, sinful nature that we still have. But let me say something to you. We still need to operate in brotherly love. We may have fights and squabbles, but I ain't going to let nobody else pick on my brother. I ain't going to let nobody else talk about my brother. I'm going to stand up for my brother. I'm going to encourage my brother. I'm going to be there for my brother. I'm going to help my brother. Why? Because I love him. I love my sister. I love her. And I hope and pray they love me back. That's how our family works. Can you say amen? I was on a mission trip one time, and um, I just had got to the place where we'd all met one another. We'd met at an, at, an, at an airport, and I walked up to where all the group was sitting, and this uh, man came up to me, and I said, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, and he introduced himself, and I introduced myself. He said, you say brother? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, you one of them old-time Christians. I didn't know what he meant by that. I said, well, yeah, I am. Exactly what I am. He said, well, I don't usually use words like brother. I said, well, I'm not going to apologize for using biblical words. If you're in Christ, you are my brother, according to the Bible. Amen? And we're to act like we are. We're the family of God. Stick with your family. Love your family. Be kindly affectioned in brotherly love. And the next thing says, in honor, preferring one another. What does that mean? That means walking in humility in such a way that I prefer others above myself. It's not always about what I want. Hey, listen, sometimes I'm going to prefer my brother's way. Sometimes I'm going to allow things to go in another way, even when maybe that's not the what, what I want, what I say, because I'm going to prefer others. Now, let me tell you what I love about Jesus. Jesus never calls us to do something he's not willing to do. I mean, no, that's exactly what he's done. He preferred others above himself. He humbled himself, the Bible says in the book of Philippians, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. What did he do on the cross? He preferred Israel Price over himself. He preferred you over himself. It wasn't for his sin he died. It was for my sin. He exercised some brotherly love and he humbled himself preferring others' needs over his own needs. Whew. Then he says, not slothful in business. What's that mean? The word slothful means lazy. We should never be thought of as lazy people. The Apostle Paul said that we should work at whatever God has put in our hands as we're working for the Lord. Amen. We're to take seriously the job God has blessed us with. And when we're at that workplace, whatever we're doing, Let's not be slothful, let's not be lazy, but let's take it serious and work like we're working for Jesus. That's what he's telling us. 
Don't be slothful in business. Then he says something else. He says, be fervent in spirit. What does it mean to be fervent in spirit? It means to be zealous in the things of God and toward the things of God. We're to be zealous in serving Jesus. But we're to realize, folks, that listen, this is not something that we have to do. This is something we get to do. Worshiping Jesus, serving Jesus, praying the prayer, preaching the sermon, teaching the class, singing the song, whatever God allows you to do, you're getting to do it for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you go at it with that mindset, it changes everything. Amen? So be zealous toward the things of God. Be zealous toward what God allows you to be a part of in His body. It's an amazing thing. Be fervent in spirit. I'm, I'm fervent in spirit about a lot of things. I, I love life. I enjoy life. I'm very zealous toward a lot of stuff in my life. I love to, I mean, just some of my hobbies. I love to exercise. I, I, I love martial arts. I love, um, I, I love camping. I love that. I, I love spending time with family. I love that. I love watching movies. I love sitting down and watching a good movie. My, my little girl came to me the other night. She said, Daddy, what's your favorite movie? I didn't even have to think about it. I didn't even have to think about it. You want me to tell me what the best movie that's ever been made is? Lonesome Dove. Hands down, best movie that's ever been made. I don't care what nobody says. Y'all need to pray about it if you don't think that's the best movie that's ever been made. <laughs> I just told them, Lonesome Dove, that's it. I love good movies. I love, I love Alabama football. I, as a matter of fact, today I was talking to a good friend of mine. We was in the truck together riding down the road. He said, brother, have you seen the, uh, the new schedule? And I said, yeah, I've seen the schedule, but I don't know when, the, when are they playing. I know who we're playing, but I hadn't saw the dates. He said, oh, man, let me show you this. So he, he drags out his phone. He starts going through all of that, and he starts reading off to me. I'm driving. He's in the pasture seat. He's reading off to me all the dates in the month of November. And I could almost feel my mouth watering. I mean, it was... And I told him after he got done, I said, man, that's fantastic. I cannot wait to see somebody get hit in the mouth in November. I, and I, I looked at him. I said, man, I need football. I, got, I was so sad when I thought football was not going to be played. I, I told him, I said, man, right now with everything going on in the world, I need to watch some football. And God the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that still small voice. He said, you, don't, you need me. No, you need me. Let me tell you what I believe God showed me there. I ought to be just as zealous and fervent in spirit about being in church on a Wednesday night than Saturday football in November. Amen? Be fervent in spirit. Realize you get to serve Jesus. You get to worship Jesus. Matter of fact, people are dying all over the world. Because they want to do what we're getting to do. Amen? Never take that for granted. Never take that for granted. He says be fervent in spirit and he says serve the Lord. Let me ask you something. What if we put all this together? What if we started loving without hypocrisy and abhorring that which is evil and cleaving to that which is good and being kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, honoring and preferring one another before ourselves? What if we uh, were not slothful in business? What if we were fervent in spirit serving the Lord? What if we put all of that together? How would our service change? There is enough power in the body of Christ to change the world. I believe that with everything in me. I believe the Bible teaches that in Ephesians chapter number 1. All the power of the Godhead dwells bodily in Christ. We are the body of Christ. I believe God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. If we just get out of the way and let God do it. Amen? If we'd start just... Being faithful to what the Word of God says right here. Man, it, this truly is the gospel in shoe leather. Then he says something else. He says that we are to rejoice in hope. 
What does it mean to rejoice in hope? Rejoicing in hope means that regardless of your current circumstances, you realize the hope you have in Jesus. See, your current circumstance may not warrant rejoicing right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening in your life, in your family, in your job. I know what's happening in the world all around me, and sometimes it's hard to rejoice because I get so stinking mad at what I see on the TV. Right? Anybody else? See, I think you ought to get angry at sin. We shouldn't be okay with sin. I've watched a very uh, popular and powerful political party with their national convention this week, and evidently nobody's told them that thou shalt not lie. That kind of angered me because I've seen lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. It sickens me to see what they are calling leadership. Now, I'm not just saying it about that political party. There's plenty to go around for all political parties when we're talking about those who need to read the Word of God. I don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying it's been on the forefront this week, and, uh, and it troubles me greatly. It ought to trouble you. So when I look around at the world I'm living in, I realize it's not my home, and I get kind of homesick. Amen. But, but now listen to me, regardless of my current circumstances, whatever it might be, individually or collectively, politically, regardless of our current circumstances, I can still rejoice in hope because I know in whom I've trusted. I know in what he's promised. Years ago, dear brother in Christ, that I miss so very much, Died with cancer. His wife called me. She said, Brother Israel, I want you to come pray for us. She told me the situation that he had been diagnosed and hadn't been given long to live. Dear, sweet family man, love the Lord, love people, faithful servants of God. And all the way over there, I'm, man, I, I was just beside myself because um, there comes a time when you've got to deal with stuff that you don't, you don't know how to deal with. You ever been there? So all the way over there, I'm praying. I said, Lord, please give me something to encourage this man. I don't want to discourage him. I don't want to bring him down. I want to bring him up. Lord, help me. Give me something to, 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 to help him with. Lord, give me some words of encouragement, something, Lord, that he needs. And I walk in that house and sit down. Him and his wife sitting there. I just become a blubbering mess. All I could do was cry. Because I was thinking about what was going on, what they were telling me, and it wasn't good. And I start trying to say something, all I do is cry. And I thought, man, I am blowing this greatly. <laughs> so finally, I stopped trying to blubber and cry a little bit and quieten down. He looks at me and says, listen to me, brother. Pray for my wife. Pray for my family. But realize... Whatever happens here, I'm a winner either way. I'm going to tell you something. You don't see many dancing, shouting Baptist. But that night, we had church in that living room. See, it's one thing for me to say I'm a winner either way when I'm healthy and up walking around. It's another thing for me to say I'm a winner either way when I'm laying at death's door. And when I saw how real that man's faith was, I had prayed all the way over there to give words of encouragement. When I got there, I was the one who was encouraged. Why? Because he was rejoicing in hope, regardless of his current circumstances. And we can and should do the same thing. I don't know what's going to happen in November. I don't know what's going to happen Next January, I don't know what's going to happen in the next four years. I don't know what's going to happen to this country, but I do know this. I've trusted in Jesus, and he's promised me a home in heaven. That's enough for me to rejoice in hope. Amen? <laughs> he's promised me he's going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He's promised me he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's promised me I'm a child of God. I'm an heir to God, joint heir with Christ. He's promised me all that. So I'm going to stand on it and rejoice in hope, and you should too. God is not sitting on the throne tonight worried about the coronavirus, the election. God is not sitting on the throne tonight worried about what Iran and Russia is going to do. God has all of that under control, and I call him daddy. 
So I rejoice in hope. And you can and should rejoice in hope as well. That's what Paul's saying. Then he says this. He says, be patient in tribulation. That doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some tough times because we are. Mark it down. Mark it down. When you start seeing pastors in the United States of America held in contempt of court because they want to go to church, believe me, persecution is coming in a way like you've never experienced. You need to know this. And you need to know you better be patient in tribulation because tribulation's coming. That's okay, though. Because what I've seen throughout church history is that the church thrives in the midst of persecution. J. Vernon McGee said in the 70s, the thing that's wrong with the American church is that nobody's trying to kill them. (laughs) That's good. You know what he's saying? We've come to the place where we've learned to do the things of God in our own power because we're so comfortable. I look at places all over the world like northern Africa and China and Cuba and and everywhere else where God is blessing and moving and working and revivals are breaking forth and souls are being saved and miracles are happening. Let me tell you why all of that's taking place everywhere else. Because they've got to have Jesus. They They can't rest in anything else. But they can rely upon Him and they do. And God comes through for them. So I'm going to be patient in tribulation, and you should as well. God's got it. Trust Him. Then He says something else. He says, be patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. The book of James says, James chapter 4 and verse number 2, we have not because we ask not. How do you believe the hand of God is moved when we pray? I do too. I believe our prayer changes things. Does it change us? Absolutely. Does it change things? Absolutely. I'm going to let God take care of all that. But I can tell you, your prayer matters. So pray. Pray for your pastor. I need your prayers. I need the prayer and you need the practice. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Hey, pray for your local church. Pray for your leadership. The Bible tells us that we should. So that we might be able to live quiet and peaceable lives. I'm going to tell you something. You better be praying for this next election. Because I don't know what's going to happen as far as the quiet and peaceable lives go the next three or four years. So you better be praying we got to petition God. we got to come before the Lord in prayer on our face and say, God, we need you. Be instant in prayer. And he says something else. Watch. He says that we are to distribute it to the necessity of the saints. We've already talked about that a little bit. We see needs. We meet needs. Let me tell you what I want you to do this week. I want you to pray and say, God, show me a need so I can meet it. But now, if you ain't serious about that, don't pray it. Because God will show you some needs, I promise you. But if you're serious about it and you really want to be used of the Lord, you want to show the love of Christ, Lord, show me some needs so that I can meet some needs. Then he says something else. He says that we are to be given to hospitality, welcome people into your home. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Hey, I'm all for hospitality among believers. Several of my brothers and sisters in Christ, we enjoy this from time to time. Hey, game nights, cookouts, all the stuff that we can do as the body of Christ, getting to know one another, growing together. That's important, given the hospitality. He says, bless them which persecute you. Well, I don't know about y'all. All this other stuff, I'm on board with. But then he says, bless them which persecute you. Is that always easy for you? It's not for me. Because I'm telling you, I grew up on Highway 19. And redneck from time to time is an understatement. I don't just get a redneck. I get a red face, red hands. I've got a problem with my temper and God's working on that and has worked on it, but I'm not there yet. I'm still growing in it. And when someone starts to persecute me, I want to tell them so bad what I think. You? You ever had to erase what you were answering on social media? 
Oh, I got something good for this sucker. Man, I'm topping it in there. I'm going to throw this scripture in because that's what he needs. I'm going to tell him how sorry he is for doing what he's done. I type that in there. And then God the Holy Spirit says erase it. Lord, please let me tell him. Let me tell him. Let me tell him. And I'd love to sit down with him and talk about it. We can get in the flesh so easily. That's why he reminds us, bless them who persecute you. Now again, Jesus never tells us to do something he's not willing to do. That's leadership. I've heard it said that a boss cracks the whip and tells the people what they should do. Themselves not being willing to do it. A leader is willing to do the work he asked his people or her people to do. That's true. Jesus is a true leader. See, he tells you to bless those who persecute you, but he don't tell you to do that without himself doing it. You remember when he was on the cross? He's been beaten with a cat of nine tails, spit upon, whipped, cursed. Spikes driven through his wrists and feet. And he looks down at the men who just had the hammer in their hand and says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. What's he doing? He's blessing those who persecute him, who curse him. Folks, listen to me. To accomplish that task, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Can't do this stuff in the flesh. That takes God doing a work that only God can do, so let him do it. Bless those. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Verse 15 says, rejoice with them that do rejoice. And there's people rejoicing. We're to rejoice with them. Talked to a brother in Christ this week. He's been praying for a baby, him and his wife. He called me up this week and he said, Brother, you ain't going to believe it. I got a baby boy on the way. I said, Praise Jesus. Praise the mighty name of God. That's a prayer answered, isn't it? So we praised, we rejoiced on the phone when he told me that. See, there's people who are, who are rejoicing. Hey, rejoice with them. Don't be jealous of them. Had another brother told me something went on good at work. Praise Jesus, man. Hey, good. Hang in there. Keep going. Find a way to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Then the Bible says, weep with those who are weeping. There's people that are weeping. There's people that's hurting. There's people that's discouraged. Be there for them too. Weep with them. Talk with them. More often than not, listen to them. You know, I come to find out, a lot of times what people want is just somebody to listen to. Just shut up and listen to them. Just listen to them. Listen to their problems. Listen to their fears. Listen to it all. Now when God prompts you and gives you um, something to say, say it. But until then, just listen. And be there for them. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. Be of the same mind one to another. Now I love this one. He says, be of the same mind one to another. Then he tells us how to do it. He says, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. But be not wise in your own conceit. So what's he telling us? He's telling us if we've got two brothers in the church... And one is driving a new Ferrari. And the other one is driving a 1972 Pinto. To not mind the high things and be buddy-buddy with the guy in the Ferrari and forget about the dry, guy driving a Pinto. That's what he's saying. Same thing that James says when he says in the book of James that we don't um, treat others, people with money better than those who don't have money. And James said it like this. He said, if you see a man coming in and he's in goodly apparel and he's got a ring on his finger, don't give him the prominent place just because of all that. Treat everyone the same because how many of you know, regardless of social stature, regardless of wealth, we all level at the foot of the cross. So he says, just treat everybody the same. Be of the same mind toward another. Verse 17. Recompense to, no, recompense to no man evil for evil. You know how that's exactly how we work sometimes? Operating in the flesh. Let me tell you how the fleshly 
man. The man operating in the flesh works. He's like a mirror. If somebody treats him good, he'll treat them good. If somebody treats him bad, he'll treat them bad. That's how the fleshly man, the natural man, works. Let me tell you how Satan works. He repays, listen to me now, good for evil. That's how Satan works. That's how he operates. Somebody does something good and he does something bad to them. He's always going to do that which is bad, that which is negative. Let me tell you how Jesus operates. He gives good for bad. And don't repay bad with bad. And so he says, you do the same thing. Be like Jesus. If somebody does you bad, do them good. If somebody does you bad, don't repay their bad with bad, but still do them good. That's what he's telling us. Again, that takes the power of the Spirit of God. We've got to relinquish our... Being a living sacrifice is not always easy, but it's worth it. And so he says, you've got to relinquish your will to mine. You've got to give me your body. You've got to give me your mind. You've got to give me your will. If we're going to have a right relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Again, that's what he's talking about here. Next week, we're going to talk about our relationship to our enemies and our relationship to the governing authorities. I cannot think, I cannot think, of a verse of scripture that is more relevant than what we'll be studying next week for the day in which we live. If you want to know how you are to operate under the authority of governing authorities, you need to be here next Wednesday night. If you want to know how, you know, how you're going to operate and deal with and have a relationship with your enemies yes your enemies you need to be here next wednesday night because god's word is going to show us all of that so come back and be with us any prayer requests tonight